Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Episode 46, The Conquest of Mexico, Part 10. Thanks for your patience while I've been away. I had a nice long needed holiday, and I spent most of it back in the UK catching up with family and friends, so that was really nice. While I was in London, I got a chance to go to the British Museum and check out their Mesoamerican collection. It's not massive, especially compared to their exhibitions on places like Egypt and Greece, but it does have some impressive artefacts, including some great Aztec jade pieces. I took some photos, and I'm going to put them on the website. I also put them on the Facebook page if you're interested in having a look. If you're ever in London, I'd recommend going and having a look at them for yourself. Around this time last year, I was returning from my last holiday, and was launching into this series on the conquest of Mexico. I knew it was going to take a lot of episodes to do properly, but I did not expect to still be doing it a year later. The pace of episodes slowed down last year, and I aim to pick it back up again from now on. Hopefully, I'll be getting them out a bit more regularly this year. This one included, I have four episodes planned to complete the conquest. After that, we'll be moving down to South America for some more exploration episodes, followed by some colonisation As it's been a while, let's remind ourselves where we were. Tenochtitlan and the Aztec Empire had fallen. Cortes was busy trying to establish an effective government, largely by co-opting the existing one, and to convert his new power into riches. The Aztec Empire still exists, technically, and is under Cortes' control. Cortes is also trying to expand his power beyond the Aztec capital, his settlement on the Caribbean coast at Veracruz, and the land of his Tlaxcalan allies in between. To do this, he had sent out two of his most trusted men to conquer territory to the north and west. Olid conquered the Parepecha kingdom, well, sort of, using a relatively soft approach, and Sandoval used a much more aggressive one to conquer the Coyiman. We covered these last episode, Around the same time, though, there was another campaign he authorised, and this one he entrusted to his right-hand man, Pedro de Alvarado. Knowing what we already do about de Alvarado, it shouldn't be a surprise that he was unwilling to sit back and let other conquistadors make a name for themselves with conquest and possibly overshadow his achievements. Also, from our knowledge of his conduct so far, I bet you can guess whether his approach was closer to the light touch of Olid or the heavy hand of Sandoval. He charged into it like a bull in a china shop 
attacking everything in sight with as much force as he could muster. He was given the task of conquering an area to the far south of Tenochtitlan, in what is today's Guatemala. At first glance, the conquest was extremely successful. Between his arrival in the region in February 1524 and October 1525, when he declared the conquest complete, city after city fell, and a capital was established, a government set up. Look closely, however, and things look a bit different. Rebellions were taking place for decades afterwards, and it could be argued that De Alvarado never really had complete control over the area he conquered. Even his capital, the seat of power from which the Spanish could rule and make their case that they governed this land, that had to be abandoned and moved to another location. De Alvarado is generally cited as the person who conquered Guatemala. But take a look at a map of the country. It's fairly big and it has a variety of landscapes. Just as it largely is today, much of the biggest and most developed cities were up in the highland. When we talk about De Alvarado's conquest of Guatemala, we're really talking about just this area. And even then, not even the whole of the highlands. It would take roughly another 100 years before the Spanish even started trying to conquer the province of Petén. And then, it was another 80 years until that was properly complete. De Alvarado's campaign in Guatemala reminds me a bit of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Western forces went in, and they didn't really suffer any defeats. The governments were ousted pretty quickly. But ever since, they have faced insurgency and extreme difficulties in governing the populations. Yes, the comparison's not perfect. The Western governments were not trying to rule those countries directly, as the Spanish were in the Americas. But I don't think this undermines the comparison. On paper, the West removed the Taliban and Saddam Hussein. But in reality, did they actually win? ISIS rose up in Iraq, and the Taliban are still active in parts of Afghanistan. The West still has troops in both countries, and occasionally they, or their local allies, are still attacked. At the time of the Spanish arrival in Mexico, the highlands of Guatemala were in a state of geopolitical flux. There had never been a Maya empire. Instead, there had always been city-states who controlled relatively small areas of land and who competed against each other. This had been the case during the height of the Maya civilization, and it was the case now, but that height was long gone. In terms of power and cultural achievement, the Maya city-states were nowhere near as impressive as they had been 500 years earlier. Out of this patchwork of small states up in the Guatemalan highlands, the Quiche people had managed to create a mini-empire, gradually bringing more and more of their neighbours under their control over the course of about 100 years. This expansion peaked around 50 years before the Spanish arrived, when one of the most powerful groups who had been incorporated, the Cachiquel, rebelled and moved southwards to found a city-state of their own. Their new city was called Ishimche, Mize Tree in English, and Cuatemayan in the Aztec language. It's from this Aztec translation that the name Guatemala is derived. 
The fact that the Kachikel were able to do this successfully inspired others to have a go themselves, most notably the Sutuhil. The Kiche found themselves unable to respond, and so their empire started to fall apart. They were still the strongest in the region, but to the Aztec, they were starting to look like easy pickings. You may remember that Moctezuma, in his pre-contact iteration as a successful military leader, had managed to conquer large parts of southern Mexico in today's state of Chiapas. He would not have time to expand further into Guatemala. However, it looks very likely that this was his next ambition. While he didn't conquer the Quiche, Aztec traders had established themselves there and Ahuatl had become the lingua franca, that is, the language the different groups there used to communicate with each other. The Quiche government was actually paying tribute to Tenochtitlan in an effort to head off an invasion. To further cement his influence in the region, he married two of his daughters to the Quiche ruler. With the fall of the Aztec, it was unclear to the Maya what would happen next, but their pre-existing internal rivalries did not just go away. It's unclear if de Alvarado knew much of this background when he set off from Tenochtitlan on the 6th of December 1523. It's unclear if he would have cared much. What he did know, and care about, was that reports had been trickling in that this was apparently a relatively rich region. With the help of Cortes, he assembled an army. He had around 400 Spaniards in total, 160 of them on horseback, and 120 armed with crossbows. He also had a number of cannons with him. Last episode we touched on how despite the great wealth gained through the conquest, Cortes had not ended up as personally well off as he had hoped. This was proven by the fact that he had to borrow money to pay for all this expensive equipment. The emperor, Cuauhtémoc, gathered together his Aztec army to accompany them, or he was quietly ordered to, most likely. He contributed 10,000 men in total. On top of this were an unknown number of slash gallons. The Spanish conquests in Mexico had always relied heavily on indigenous allies, but it's quite striking to see just how big the difference in numbers on this expedition were. That's 25 Aztec for every Spaniard, and that's not even including the Tlaxcalans. Another feature of de Alvarado's expedition was how much of a family affair it was. Two brothers accompanied him, Gonzalo and Jorge, both of whom had been present for the Aztec conquest, but who had not done much to distinguish themselves. There were also three cousins, all with the de Alvarado name, another Gonzalo, Hernando and Diego. Another of the most prominent conquistadors was Pedro de Porto Carrero. He was also some sort of distant relation. Among the Spanish soldiers was Diaz de Castillo, meaning that we have a first-hand account of what happened. We also know a bit from de Alvarado himself. He wrote letters back to Cortes reporting on his progress. On top of this, we have a short account from the indigenous perspective in the annals of Cachiquel. Like the codices of the Aztec, Slashcalan and Perepecha, 
These were written a couple of decades after the fact with the help of Spanish priests. All of these sources allow us to piece together a fairly comprehensive narrative. There is one more piece of background information we should know before diving into the story. The diseases, which had helped them so much in central Mexico, had already made their way down to Guatemala. The most deadly disease had been smallpox, which had reached the area three or four years before the first Spaniards arrived. We can't know for sure, but I've seen it estimated that roughly one-third of the region's population had already died. The epidemic had subsided by the time de Alvarado arrived, but losing that much of a population has to weaken a civilization substantially. Of course, this was just the beginning. The population will decline even further over the coming decades as new waves of disease sweep through. In Chiapas was a place called Soconusco, and this had been one of the Aztec frontier posts. In fact, it still was. Being on the frontier, it had a garrison force, and this was still sitting there waiting when De Alvarado arrived. These men joined his army as it started to march up into the mountains of Guatemala. I am fortunate enough to have spent a couple of months up in these highlands while doing research for my undergraduate thesis, and to have visited a few of the places where these events took place. These highlands are absolutely beautiful. Hopefully I can describe them in a way that helps you picture the scene. They're high, but not as high as the Andes. Many of the main towns and cities sit at around 1,500 metres above sea level. There's not that much flat ground up there. Hills and ridges are the dominant features. The land is fertile, however. Running through the area is a line of volcanoes. They're pretty dramatic, and almost all of them have that perfect stereotypical cone shape, just like a child would draw a volcano. Due to the altitude, the dominant colour of the plant life is often yellow rather than green, and the air is often hazy. If you get a chance, you should definitely go there. As well as being one of the most powerful, the Quiche were also the most northern of the city-states. That made them the first that De Alvarado came across. They knew what was coming. Their leader, a man called Tecum, organised seven days of religious ceremonies to gain favour with the gods. At one point he sat on a litter, covered in mirrors, quetzal feathers and gems. Certain directions were considered sacred, and it was believed that carrying him in those directions on the litter would persuade the gods to grant him powers. It was thought that doing this also enabled him to see what was behind him as well as in front. With that done he raised an army, and they went out to meet de Alvarado. The first battle took place at Zapotitlan. The idea was to meet the Spaniards there, as they would just have finished their climb up from the coastal lowlands, and would hopefully be tired and disorganised. Details are scarce, but the plan did not work. Despite outnumbering the Spanish, the Quiche were beaten and forced to retreat. It's thought that never having seen horses, let alone people riding them in battle, this played a part. On the way up, de Alvarado had already started to set the tone for his campaign by burning and pillaging Quiche villages. Terrorising the population was a major part of his strategy. 
After the battle, this continued as he made his way into the Quiche heartlands. There were several skirmishes where sometimes the Quiche were able to inflict casualties on the Spaniards, but they were unable to halt their advance. At some point, Tecum was killed. It's unclear whether it happened during these skirmishes or during the big battle that took place outside today's city of Quetzaltenango. Either way, the Spanish won that battle convincingly, and the Quiche invited them to their capital, Cumacach, so they could surrender. Cumaca was said to be built on a hill, and to enter, the Alvarado had to cross a bridge over a ravine. Inside, its streets were narrow and winding. All in all, it was an excellent defensive structure that was hard to enter and exit. It was the perfect place for an ambush. The Spanish would be unable to use their tactics and their all-important cavalry once they were inside. The Alvarado sensed this, and at the last minute he refused to enter. He had a better idea. He camped on the plain below, and when Quiche messengers came to talk, he took them hostage. Whether the Quiche were truly planning on resuming hostilities or not, now they had no choice, and the final battle took place by de Alvarado's camp. He won, and that was the end of Quiche resistance, for now. It had taken just over a month. Before this battle, de Alvarado had picked up a new ally. Just as Cortes and the Tlaxcalans had found common cause, the defeat of the Aztec, the Cacchiquel saw the Spanish as a natural ally as they tried to get ahead of their more powerful Quiche neighbours. They had sent men to assist the Spanish, and afterwards, de Alvarado had decided to make a formal alliance. Together they would conquer the surrounding city-states using Spanish power, or their Aztec army at least. Of course, the end result was probably not discussed much. The Cacchiquel probably envisioned themselves as equal partners, whereas for de Alvarado, they would just be another subject of the Spanish Empire, albeit perhaps a favoured one, maybe. The Spanish were then invited to the Cacchiquel capital, Ishimche, which they would make their base. The Cacchiquel annals say that when he arrived, the people of the city came out to meet and welcome him. They also say that their chiefs took the Spaniards for gods. The other group, who had broken away from the Quiche, after the Cacchiquel, were the Tzutuhil, and these had become Cacchiquel's main rival, after the Quiche, that is. Because of this, they directed de Alvarado's attention towards the Sutuhil. The Spanish were in Ishimche for just five days before they set off to attack them. The battle took place on the shores of Lake Atitlan, and so this must have been one of the most scenic battles in history. Look up pictures of the lake. It's one of the most picturesque places I've ever been. It probably wouldn't have mattered much what the Sutuhil did, but they took a hostile approach. De Alvarado sent two Cacchiquel messengers to warn them of their arrival, and the Sutuhil decided to kill them. If there had been any doubt about attacking them, that was gone now. De Alvarado had to march around the lake looking for his enemy, but he did eventually encounter them. A small battle took place, which consisted of little resistance, and then a retreat 
from the Sutuhil. After this, they apparently agreed to surrender. Things looked to be going pretty well. The Spanish had won victory after victory, and now the three largest states in the area were all either defeated or allied. It had all happened so quickly, however, that there hadn't been time to establish any proper control over the conquered territories. No government had been put in place. What de Alvarado should have done is spent some time consolidating, but frustrated by the lack of treasure, he decided to press onwards. He started marching down to the coastal lowlands of the Pacific, all the way into today's El Salvador. The first people he encountered after his descent were the Pipil. You might remember them, as we spoke about them briefly way back in the early episodes on pre-colonial Central America. They were Nahuatl speakers, so they may have even been able to communicate with the Aztec soldiers. A relatively small battle took place outside the Pipila capital, after which they quickly surrendered. To make sure that they remained loyal, the Alvarado was said to have terrorised the population. He then moved on to the territory of the Xinca. He quickly captured their capital and several other cities. It seemed he had defeated them. However, he was then caught in a successful ambush. The Shinka managed to get to his baggage and steal much of his equipment. He lost almost all of his crossbows and the metalwork he needed for his cavalry. He made camp and sent his men out to defeat the Shinka army. But they made excellent use of the terrain and these attempts were unsuccessful. The Shinka then tried to lure him into a similar trap to the Kiche, offering peace and inviting him to one of their cities. De Alvarado managed to win this battle though, and he declared the Shinka conquered. With that done, he finally returned to Ishimche with the intention of converting the Cachiquel capital into a Spanish colony from which the new territory could be governed. According to the annals of Cachiquel, it had been just 40 days since he had last been in the city after defeating the Quiche. De Alvarado couldn't help himself. Establishing himself, Nishimche, which he renamed Santiago, should have been a step in the right direction. The problem, as De Alvarado saw it, was that he still hadn't been able to gather enough gold. Part of this was his lack of patience. He may have been able to tax the conquered people once he'd set up a proper government. Part of it was due to the fact that the states down here were small. They weren't like the Aztec with their vast empire, so there simply wasn't much easily grabbable gold in the area. Despite their alliance and the assistance they had given, the Alvarado started to make heavy demands on the Cachiquel. He made threats about what he would do if they didn't provide gold. The annals state that the Cachico started gathering together what they could, and as they were doing so, a demon or spirit appeared and told them that he would destroy the Spaniards. I am the lightning. I will destroy the Castilians, he said. I will destroy them by fire. When I beat the drum, let the chiefs come forward and go to the other bank of the river. Macacchico chose to hand over the tribute, and then they snuck out of Ishimche. They abandoned their city 
and waited for the gods to do their work. But the gods didn't, and within a few days de Alvarado was marching around Cachiquel territory, taking their towns by force and destroying their army. The Cachiquels fought back, and so began a guerrilla warfare campaign that lasted six years. They even managed to force the Spanish out of Ishimche at one point. The Spanish then responded by destroying it completely. The Cachiquel then retreated to the remotest parts of the highland, and amongst other tactics, they devised traps, hidden pits, which Spanish horses would fall into. There were two more peoples in the area which de Alvarado had his eye on, the Mam and the Pocomam. It didn't take long for him to defeat the Pocomam in battle and bring them under his control. The Mam were more difficult, though. They retreated to their capital, a city called Zaculio. It took a siege of several months to breach the walls, but eventually the Spanish succeeded. At this point, de Alvarado declared the job done. He reported back that he had conquered all of these people and established a new Spanish city. He did complain to Cortes that the expedition had not been particularly profitable, but apart from that, everything had gone to plan. He just up and left, going back to Spain for a while, giving his brother Jorge control of Guatemala. Jorge spent the next few years putting down rebellions and building a new capital. It was, however, two years before the Cachica were beaten back enough to make founding this new capital safe. To do this, Jorge had to return to Tenochtitlan and gather more soldiers. He was unable to pacify the area with just the men he had left. As well as fighting the Cachiquel over the next few years, Jorge had to march down to El Salvador to re-secure de Alvarado's conquests, and he also had to see off raids from bands of Quiche, who were still resisting. De Alvarado left in 1525, but it wasn't until around 1530 that the minimum level of security required to properly govern the area had been achieved. Even then, there were periodic rebellions over the next decade, and beyond that, this was of course only a fraction of the territory of today's country. Despite this, despite the work done by his brother, despite the work done by the Aztec warriors, then the conquered locals made to fight, and despite the work done by disease, de Alvarado has gone down as the conqueror of Guatemala. Even though he did not obtain the riches he hoped for, he had made a name for himself, and created his own little personal fiefdom. At the end of 1527, he was made governor of Guatemala by the King of Spain, a title that sat beneath Cortes's Viceroyalty of New Spain, and he was given a couple of other honorary titles. Next time, Spanish incursions into Central America will continue, this time in Honduras. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com 
You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.